Long History Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 6 The Deed of Darkness Mutiny in Canada's Hudson Bay Hello everyone and welcome to Long History. This is the place to be if you've listened to lots of brief histories and want more detail. Here we give you source documents from history so you can listen to the events by the people who took part. And the text we're looking at at the moment is Henry Hudson's Diverse Voyages and Northern Discoveries, which contains four journeys, and we're now well into the fourth journey. And actually this is the 22nd part of a 25-part series, so there's lots already to explore about Henry Hudson, but this episode should stand on its own. There are only three episodes left in this series, so don't forget to subscribe to be informed of when the remaining episodes are released. Now, things turned serious in the previous episode. Previously, the documents about Henry Hudson's voyages were full of dry technical detail. But towards the end of this voyage, we start to hear about the disagreements between the crew members. They reached Hudson Bay, but now they want to go home. After enduring the winter of Hudson Bay, however, one thing has become clear. There just won't be enough food for everyone if they try to make it back to England. A man called Henry Green appears to be the main plotter whose thoughts are turning from solidarity to survival. If the men are to make it back to England, in his eyes, some harsh decisions must be made. This text was written by a man who took part in the voyage, called Abercock Bridget, and he has tried to make the mutineers swear that they will not be violent as they take over the ship. As this episode begins, Abercock Bridget hopes that more men will come to swear that they will not be violent, but none come. Then we hear more about the plots before they are put into action. This is Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 6, The Deed of Darkness, Mutiny in Canada's Hudson Bay. I looked for more of these companions, although these were too many, but there came no more. It was dark and they in a readiness to put this deed of darkness in execution. I called to Henry Green and Wilson, and prayed them not to go in hand with it in the dark, but to stay till the morning. Now every man, I hope, would go to his rest, but wickedness sleepeth not. For Henry Green keepeth the master company all night, and gave me bread, which his cabin-mate gave him, and others are as watchful as he. Then I asked Henry Green, whom he would put out with the master. He said, the carpenter John King, and the sick men. I said, they should not do well to part with the carpenter. What need soever they should have? Why the carpenter was in no more regard amongst them was, first, for that he and John King were condemned for wrong done in the victual. But the chiefest cause was for that the master loved him and made him his mate upon his return out of our wintering place, thereby displacing Robert Billet, whereat they did grudge, because he could neither write nor read. And therefore, said they, the master and his ignorant mate would carry the ship whither the master pleased, the master forbidding any man to keep account or reckoning, having taken from all men whatsoever served for that purpose. Well, I obtained of Henry Green and Wilson that the carpenter should stay, by whose means I hoped, after they had satisfied themselves, that the master and the poor man might be taken into the ship again. Or I hoped that someone or other would give some notice either to the carpenter, John King, or the master, 
for so it might have come to pass by some of them that were the most forward. Now, it shall not be amiss to show how he were lodged, and to begin in the cook-room. There lay Bennet and the cooper, lame. Without the cook-room, on the steerboard side, lay Thomas Widhouse, sick. Next to him lay Sidrak Funa, lame, then the surgeon, and John Hudson with him. Next to them lay Wilson the Botswain, and then Arnold Ludlow next to him. In the gun-room lay Robert Jewett and John Thomas. On the larboard side lay Michael Bute and Adrian Moore, who had never been well since we lost our anchor. Next to them lay Michael Purse and Andrew Meter. Next to them, without the gun-room, lay John King, and with him Robert Billet. Next to them, myself, and next to me, Francis Clements. In the midship, between the capstan and the pumps, lay Henry Green and Nicholas Sims. This night John King was late up, and they thought he had been with the master, but he was with the carpenter who lay on the poop, and coming down from him was met by his cabin mate, as it were by chance, and so they came to their cabin together. It was not long ere it was day. Then came Bennet for water for the kettle. He rose and went into the hold. When he was in they shut the hatch on him. But who kept it down I know not. Up upon the deck went Bennet. In the meantime Henry Green and another went to the carpenter and held him with a talk till the master came out of his cabin, which he soon did. Then came John Thomas and Bennet before him, while Wilson bound his arms behind him. He asked them what they meant. They told him he should know when he was in the shallop. Now Jewett, while this was a doing, came to John King into the hold, who was provided for him, for he had got a sword of his own and kept him at a bay, and might have killed him, but others came to help him. And so he came up to the master. The master called to the carpenter and told him that he was bound. But I heard no answer he made. Now Arnold Ludlow and Michael Bute railed at them and told them their knavery would show itself. Then was the shallop hailed up to the ship's side and the poor, sick and lame men were called upon to get them out of their cabins into the shallop. The master called to me who came out of my cabin as well as I could, to the hatchway to speak with him, where on my knees I besought them for the love of God to remember themselves and to do as they would be done unto. They bade me keep myself well and get me into my cabin, not suffering the master to speak with me. But when I came into my cabin again, he called to me at the horn which gave light into my cabin and told me that Jewett would overthrow us all. Nay, said I, it is that villain, Henry Green, and I spake it not softly. Now was the carpenter at liberty, who asked them if they would be hanged when they came home. And as for himself, he said, he would not stay in the ship unless they would force him. They bade him go then, for they would not stay him. I will, said he so I may have my chest with me, and all that's in it. They said he should, and presently they put it into the shallop. Then he came down to me to take his leave of me, 
who persuaded him to stay, which if he did, he might so work that all should be well. He said he did not think but they would be glad to take them in again. For he was so persuaded by the master that there was not one in all the ship that could tell how to carry her home. But, saith he, if we must part, which we will not willingly do, for they would follow the ship, he prayed me, if we came to the capes before then, that I would leave some token that we had been there, near to the place where the fowls bred, and he would do the like for us. And so, with tears, we parted. Now were the sick men driven out of their cabins into the shallop. But John Thomas was Francis Clement's friend, and Bennet was the Cooper's. So as there were words between them and Henry Green, one saying that they should go, and the other swearing that they should not go, but such as were in the shallop should return. When Henry Green heard that, he was compelled to give place, and to put out Arnold Ludlow and Michael Bute, which, with much ado, they did. In the meaner time, there were some of them that plied their work as if the ship had been entered by force, and they had free leave to pillage, breaking up chests and rifling all places. One of them came by me, who asked me what they should do. I answered, he should make an end of what he had begun, for I saw him do nothing but shark up and down. Now were all the poor men in the shallop, whose names are as followeth, Henry Hudson, John Hudson, Arnold Ludlow, Sidrak Fainer, Philip Staff, Thomas Woodhouse or Widhouse, Adam Moore, Henry King, Michael Bute. The carpenter got them a piece and powder and shot and some pikes and iron pot with some meal and other things. They stood out of the ice, the shallop being fast to the stern of the ship, and so, when they were nigh out, for I cannot say they were clean out, they cut her head fast from the stern of our ship, then out with their top sails, and towards the east they stood in a clear sea. In the end they took in their topsails, righted their helm, and lay under their foresail, till they had ransacked and searched all places in the ship. In the hold they found one of the vessels of meal whole, and the other half spent, for we had but two. We found also two firkins of butter, some twenty-seven pieces of pork, half a bushel of peas, but in the master's cabin we found two hundred of biscuit cakes, a peck of meal, of beer to the quantity of a butt, one with another. Now it was said that the shallop was come within sight. They let fall the mainsail, and out with their topsails, and fly as from an enemy. Then I prayed them yet to remember themselves, but William Wilson, more than the rest, would hear of no such matter. Coming nigh the east shore, they cast about, and stood to the west, and came to an island, and anchored in sixteen or seventeen fathom water. So they sent the boat and the net ashore, to see if they could have a draught, but could not for rocks and great stones. Michael Purse killed two fowl, and here they found good store of that weed which we called cocklegrass in our wintering place whereof they gathered store, and came aboard again. Here we lay that night, and the best part of the next day, in all which time we saw not the shallop, or ever after, 
Now Henry Green came to me and told me that it was the company's will that I should come up into the master's cabin and take charge thereof. I told him it was more fit for Robert Jewett. He said he should not come in it, nor meddle with the master's card or journals. So up I came, and Henry Green gave me the key of the master's chest, and told me then that he had laid the master's best things together, which he would use himself when the time did serve. The bread was also delivered to me by tail. There have been many mutinies in the documents covered by long history so far, but rarely have other accounts contained so much detail of what happened during those events. However, it's a strangely muted account of what happened. Really, we've got to look closely at the detail to see what might have happened on that ship. It says that the sick men were driven out of their cabins into the shallop. The text says that there were words between various people and Henry Green. It also says that there was much ado, particularly when Arnold Ludlow and Michael Butte were put out of the ship. In the meantime, in passing, it's mentioned that there was pillaging on the ship. It's a rather euphemistic account, and ultimately we can only imagine what might have happened on that ship. It's also worth bearing in mind the role of the author in this account. In his account here, he manages to totally distance himself from what happened, and yet somehow, in some way, he ends up being in the master's cabin and in charge of the ship. So it's pretty clear here that the version that Abercook Pritchard is giving of events is the one that will cause him least harm back in England, to the point where this account of events is only barely plausible. So Henry Hudson has been cast out into the shallop with all the sick men on board the ship, Will Abercock Bridget and the rest of the men on the main ship ever see them again? Please, if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like it and to share it, to promote long history, and to help it in its mission to rescue these documents from the vaults. This was Henry Hudson, Voyage 4, Part 6, The Deed of Darkness, Mutiny in Canada's Hudson Bay. Goodbye.